Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. Today, we continue our study of Jacob's life as it is recorded in the book of Genesis. We've traced Jacob's journey from his home in Canaan to Haran, then finding his wives, Rachel and Leah, and engaging in a strong mimetic rivalry with his uncle Laban. Then we looked at how Jacob made his way away from Haran back to his homeland in Canaan. And on his way, he encounters his brother Esau. After reconciling with Esau, Jacob camps at Shechem, a city in the land of Canaan. Let's read on now from verse 1 of chapter 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. So Dinah goes out to meet with the women of the land. In other words, Dinah was not looking for a sexual encounter of any kind. However, Shechem, the young prince, takes her and lies with her, which is what ancient Near Eastern monarchs would do. They would see something they liked and take it, regardless of who owned it. Later on in the biblical narrative, Samuel warns the people that their king will take the best of their sons and daughters and use them for his own means. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read that even the great King David sees Bathsheba, the wife of Paltiel, bathing on the rooftop. He takes her and lies with her, the exact same language used to describe Shechem's treatment of Dinah in this passage. Unfortunately, honour and power in the ancient Near East were tightly bound up with female sexuality. A man was humiliated if another man slept with his wife or daughter. When our passage states that Shechem humiliated Dinah, he has also humiliated Jacob and his sons. How will they respond? Shechem's action poses a serious threat to Jacob's non-mimetic lifestyle. Although he humiliates Dinah and her family, we are told that Shechem loves Dinah. He speaks tenderly to her and his soul is drawn to her. The same phrase is used in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, which reads, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So once Shechem takes Dinah, he fulfills the role of a husband, at least as it is portrayed in Genesis chapter 2. Let's consider for a moment how Shechem's desire for Dinah in particular may have been kindled through her actions towards him. As far as we can see, Dinah shows no interest in Shechem, which probably sets her apart from all the other eligible maidens around her. Also, Dinah is a foreigner, which adds an extra layer of difficulty and uncertainty to any engagement negotiations due to different expectations and customs. Like all of us, Shechem wants what he cannot have, and his frustration turns to infatuation. Finally, Shechem takes Dinah, lays with her, and seeks to marry her. 
Let's read on now from verse 8. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor the son of Shechem went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say, I will give to you. Ask for me as great a prize price and gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Notice the different reactions of Jacob and his sons throughout their negotiation with Hamor. While Jacob seems calm, his sons burn with anger. They are furious because Shechem's actions have brought shame and dishonor upon their entire household. But Hamor seeks to make things right by negotiating a marriage between Dinah and his son and forming a political alliance with Israel. Absolutely besotted with Dinah, Shechem hands Jacob a blank check, asking him to name the bride price for his daughter. All of a sudden, Jacob holds all the cards in an all-too-familiar scenario. Back in Haran, Jacob was infatuated with Rachel, which gave his uncle Laban all the power. Now Jacob stands on the other side of this negotiation with all the power as another love-struck suitor begs for his daughter's hand in marriage. Will Jacob exploit Shechem in the same way that Laban exploited him? Let's read on now from verse 13. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to him, We cannot do this thing to give your sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you getting circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son, Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do this thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honoured of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will men agree to dwell with us, to become one people. And every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? 
Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure, and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city in the field. And their wealth and all the little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said to him, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Let's start by considering what it means to be a son of Jacob. In ancient Near Eastern thought, the sons were like their fathers. Much like their father did with Esau earlier in the narrative, Jacob's sons deal deceitfully with Hamor and Shechem. Although Hamor comes to speak with Jacob, Jacob's sons take over the negotiations. Filled with rage, Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, attack the city of Shechem. Having killed Hamor and his son, along with all the other males of the city, Simeon and Levi plunder the city and bring their sister back home, all for the sake of honour. The mimetic nature of this exchange is highlighted by the repeated use of the word took, which in Hebrew is lachach. Simeon and his city want to take the daughters of Jacob to be their wives, yet in retaliation for Shechem taking their sister, Dinah, Simeon and Levi take their swords and destroy the city and take their sister back, along with all the plunder. By inciting Simeon and Levi's retaliation, Shechem acts foolishly and brings their mimetic violence upon him. As an ancient Near Eastern prince after whom the city is named, Shechem is a young man who always gets what he wants. When he takes whatever he desires from others, no one retaliates because they simply cannot match the might of Shechem's army. His military might makes Shechem untouchable and unchallengeable, which prevents any sort of meaningful mimetic exchange from taking place. In this narrative, however, Shechem meets his match as he and his entire city are outwitted and slaughtered by the sword of Simeon and Levi. So in this way, Simeon and Levi act as sons of Jacob in that they act exactly as Jacob used to. And Hamor becomes a sap. Hamor in Hebrew means donkey. So someone who's not quite the full quid. He's easily duped by Simeon and Levi who trick him and deceive him and take advantage of the situation to exact their revenge. Jacob rebukes his sons for their actions because he knows that violence only breeds more violence. 
Yes, Shechem has done a foolish thing, but Simeon and Levi have the choice whether to respond with mimetic violence or to seek peace. In this story, Shechem seeks to make reparation for his folly and broker a peaceful solution by paying a dowry and marrying Dinah. Such a solution is actually what is prescribed in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 to 29. If a man meets a young woman who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has humiliated her. He may not divorce her all his days. Yet Simeon and Levite do not follow this course of action, but manipulate the system. They manipulate Shechem's desire for Dinah to exact their revenge. Jacob reproves his son, saying, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink in the eyes of the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. In other words, the mimetic violence which Simeon and Levi perpetrate against Shechem will be imitated by the other inhabitants of Canaan who will band together and vent their collective violence upon Jacob and his family. When Jacob explains to Simeon and Levi that they have placed their community in grave danger, they reply, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? In other words, who cares? We can't let him get away with it. He had it coming. Jacob's sons are caught up in retaliating for Shechem's offences and have become blind to the mimetic consequences of their actions. Even when Jacob warns them of these consequences, Simeon and Levi attempt to justify their actions as a legitimate response to Shechem's inappropriate conduct. In so doing, Jacob's sons act like the old pre-conversion Jacob we saw in earlier chapters. In contrast to the post-conversion Jacob, who attempts to live in peace with others. Reading on now from chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. As they journeyed, a terror from God fell on all the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is, Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. There he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. You may recall that Jacob first had an experience of God in the desert after fleeing from his brother Esau and calls this place Bethel. Now God calls Jacob to bring his family back to the same place that they too may encounter the God of Bethel. 
before they approach the God of Bethel, Jacob instructs his family to remove their foreign gods, purify themselves, and change their clothes. Jacob's sons must leave behind their rivalry with others, which has blinded their perception of reality, if they are truly to discover the God of Bethel. For this reason, Jacob's sons leave their rivalries, that is their idols, back in Shechem. Notice when Jacob and his family leave their rivalries behind, suddenly everyone leaves them alone. None of the other nations try to fight with them, and they journey on safely to Bethel. Once we leave aside our rivalries and mimetic desire, we might be surprised at how little trouble, opposition, defiance we get from others. Reading on now from verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Now hold up for a second. Jacob has not just come from Padanaram. Padanaram was where Jacob found his two wives, Rachel and Leah, becomes infatuated with Rachel and engaged in a bitter rivalry with his uncle Laban. Padanaram is back in Babylon. Jacob was consumed by mimetic rivalry and desire during his time in Padanaram. Why does our narrative talk about Jacob returning from Padanaram in Babylon when Jacob is actually journeying within Canaan from Shechem to Bethel? The simplest answer is that we have two accounts of Jacob's journey from Padanaram included in this same Genesis narrative. We looked at the first account in the last episode in which Jacob wrestles with a man, is renamed Israel, and enjoys a peaceful meeting with his brother Israel. The other account in chapter 35 verses 9 to 15 stems from a different textual tradition, also recounts Jacob's name change and is much more succinct. It also ties Jacob in with the promises of blessing, land and descendants made to his father Abraham and the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. The account of Dinah's defilement in Genesis 34 is sandwiched between these two accounts. Why? Well, the incident with Dinah in chapter 34 contrasts the mimetic lifestyle of Jacob's sons with his non-mimetic existence. Jacob's flight from Padanaram marked his conversion from a life plagued with mimetic rivalry to a non-mimetic lifestyle. Now, following his conversion, Jacob's non-mimetic lifestyle allows him to enjoy all the blessings of his father Abraham. His response to the incident with Dinah shows that Jacob is not interested in 
exchanging mimetic blows with Shechem or exploiting his desire. In contrast, his sons deceive Shechem, exploit his desire to exact their revenge upon him, which places their whole community in grave danger of subsequent retaliation. The reader is presented with two options. We can continue in a never-ending cycle of violence, just like Simeon and Levi. Or we can enjoy the blessing of Abraham if we follow in Jacob's footsteps and leave our rivalries behind. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.